Hello, and welcome to Artistas in the Capital. My name is Norma Sorto, and I'm your host for Ola Cotura's brand new monthly podcast, featuring interviews with Latinx artists in the Washington area. Throughout history, art and social justice movements have gone hand in hand in drawing attention to important issues. The Mexican mural movement started in the 1920s. Inspired by this movement, President Roosevelt included the Federal Art Project as part of the New Deal, setting out to use art to portray the economic inequality and social distress of the 1930s Great Depression and rally the spirits of the nation by hiring artists of all types and aptitudes. This example is just one of the many ways people have used art to express their points of view and bring awareness to social justice topics. Our guest for this episode is someone who continues this legacy. Cesar Maxi is an Argentinian-American street artist and activist who has developed an expertise in illustrating what organizations are fighting for. Street art's ability to directly reach a wide audience has shown him the importance of art for the public and how he can spark ideas that lead to change. Here's our interview with Cesar, conducted by spell participants Alfonso Alfaro, Madison E. Goldberg, Otoniel Messinas Cruz, and Christina Van Otterloo back in July of 2021. My name is Cesar de Maxi. I live in DC. I was born in Argentina when I was six. My family moved to Houston, Texas, and I've been in DC now for 17 years. I went to school to study architecture and I did that for a few years. About 15 years ago, I quit my architecture job and started doing full-time what I used to do on the side, which was help organizations sort of represent what they were demanding. Just work on campaigns, mostly for environmental justice at the beginning. The environmental justice movement turned into a climate movement. You know, the more I learned, the more I realized like all these different movements are kind of connected. So I just started working more on human rights, on immigrant rights. So as an artist, sometimes I identify as an artist, but really what I'm doing is I specialize in communications. A lot of times it's visual communications, but I also help organizations develop messaging and sometimes even just writing, coming up with how to explain what they're trying to do, like figure out who has the power to give them what they want and how do you leverage the powers that we have within our communities. And sometimes it's just fun work, like making sculptures or painting stuff. For years also on the side, I've been organizing an artist collective, and that's sometimes really challenging. For me, that's usually involved finding a space where we can organize, where we can meet, where we can all create art together. I've organized, you know, sort of figured out how to fund artist spaces, which is usually warehouses. You know, we live in D.C., and it's probably true for many cities, but in D.C., you know, you can't hold on to a warehouse for too long because some developer will come and try to buy it out. So I've had like six different warehouses in the last 15 years, but we have a warehouse now. It's a really great space because there's just lots of tools and lots of activity. And so that's roughly my story. So obviously activism and art do tend to go hand in hand because it does create this sort of visual component. Do you feel that your murals and your work within the D.C. area kind of reach a broader audience than someone that would just be watching news? Do you feel that it kind of just creates a bigger base of people to kind of understand the implications of these policies and just kind of what they can do to make these changes? That's a great question because 
it makes me reflect on like, oh, right. How did I start doing this stuff? I started like not necessarily working with organizations, but just like trying to, you know, sort of like looking out and seeing what the issues were and having my own ideas about what justice meant or what the right thing to fight for was. I didn't know a lot of groups to work with. And so what I was doing is I was using street art. I was using posters and stencils. The way I thought it was like, I'm planting seeds in people's minds. Like I was fighting for Medicare, you know, the ability to have medicine and see doctors when you need them many years ago. And that's how I started. I was like, man, I can't believe people are fighting about whether we should all have access to doctors and medicine. It's just so obvious that we should all, you know, it's a very wealthy country. We should have medicine for everyone. So for example, that was one of the things I started working for. It's just like, okay, I'm going to create a poster that says healthcare for all, everybody in, nobody out. And I started pasting those up. Over time, I would sometimes catch conversations or a few people that would know that it was me would come and tell me, or sometimes someone might ask me, well, what do you do? I'm an artist. Well, what have you been up to? It's like, oh, I've been putting up these posters. And then you get the feedback and you realize like, wow, I was reading the newspaper and the articles that say, oh, you know, there's organizations that are putting up these posters. So we know there's people that are fighting for this. You know, it wasn't an organization, it was me putting up some posters, but like, you're really able to put ideas in people's heads and like sort of change the conversation just by putting stuff on the walls. So I feel like the work I do now with organizations and to be clear with organizations, sometimes we still go posturing. That's still one of the tactics, one of the tools that we have that we use. But then beyond that, you know, sometimes we leverage the power of having a lot of members, a lot of people on the ground. Sometimes you get press and sometimes not, but the things that have legislation attached to them and are in the media start from somewhere, right? They start from the street. They start from people's minds, from people wanting to fight for them. So people on the street might not be reading the newspaper, but they're seeing what's on the walls, the writing on the walls, so to speak. And then the mural was an example of that. It's got a bigger budget. It takes a lot more time. I organized a few artists to help me because it's just like a big art project, you know, giant wall. But yeah, that's how you have access to more people. I mean, now you kind of have to use social media as well, right? So that's another avenue, another tactic, another tool. But, you know, you still have to create the content, right? And so I think doing stuff on the street, whether it's murals or marching, that's a way to create that content. How well do you think you communicate the message when making your logos and designs? Yeah, I guess I would separate it out kind of in two parts. So logo is usually like a really pretty kind of simple design, usually that can be replicated. And like the designs sometimes are more complicated, right? Like design for a campaign sometimes can be like a sculpture or a series of banners or flags or something. A lot of the campaigns that I work with are like sort of membership based so they can get people on the streets and then there's going to be a march. There's a lot of energy that goes into organizing people to come together and take time out of their lives to march for something. So if you put in all that energy, you've got to make sure that your message is going out. You know that you need to express what you're fighting for as well as possible. So that's what I try to do for folks. When making your artwork or design or logos, what goes through your mind? You know, I'm not writing essays. I'm not writing articles. So I'm usually trying to figure out what are the fewest amount of words that explain the issue, explain my point of view. How can you express it 
Are there visuals? Are there images? Iconography? You know, how can you express what you're fighting for with imagery? If we go back to that healthcare issue, I use the heart. It occurred to me to do a Red Cross, but I was thinking a heart is love, a heart is caring for people. And then also I combined the heart with a lifesaver. If you don't have access to medicine, doctor, you could die. And if you're dying, like a lifesaver is sort of a symbol that you throw to someone to save someone's life. So what do I think about when I'm designing? I think about what's the easiest way to express an idea to folks. A lot of times campaigners will have been doing it for so long that they don't realize how little people on the street might know about the issue that you care about and you've been working on for years. Usually an organizer will tell me what they want. And then oftentimes I think about like, do I need to push back? For example, I'm working on this cannabis legalization thing. And, you know, my client is saying we want to end DC's budget writer. How many of you all know what ending DC's budget writer means? And I added budget because they just said we want to end DC's writer. End DC's writer? I don't think anyone knows what that means. So I added budget writer. And then I put that prevents full marijuana legalization. The budget writer is the reason we can't have full legalization in DC. So anyways, just trying to be effective, an effective communicator. You have to think about a wide audience and you've got to think about trying to meet people where they're at. They don't know the intricacies of the federal budget. You know, when a legislator wants to try to kill something, they'll add a writer to the budget. But people don't understand that. So if you want to add that language, you got to explain what you're talking about. What is the largest, most important mural you have made? I've done a lot more postering than murals, to be clear. But the largest mural is the one that I just finished most recently, which is about 15 feet tall and like 70 feet long. It was a statehood mural. This woman, Josephine Butler, she's kind of a hero of mine because she was fighting for D.C. statehood her whole life. So my murals have largely been about statehood, but like I also painted one with my artist collective that actually got some news. There was like a series of street murals, like painted on the street, big yellow letters. The first one was like the mayor in D.C. painted Black Lives Matter across the street in front of the White House. The organization called Black Lives Matter has been fighting with the mayor because they feel like she was just using this term Black Lives Matter, but they actually fight for Black Lives and they feel like she's not doing enough. So the organization Black Lives Matter approached the artist collective called 411 Collective. At first they said, we want you to destroy this mural. We want you to just black it out, just destroy it. And, you know, like I said before, like sometimes you got to push back on the clients, you know, and like figure out, well, what is it that you want? So they said, we want to express the idea that she's not fighting for Black Lives. She's saying Black Lives Matter, but we are the group called Black Lives Matter in her city, and she's ignoring everything we're asking for. So what are you asking for? We're asking to defund the police. So then I came up with this idea. How about if instead of destroying Black Lives Matter, which is actually a good message, it's the name of your organization, it's not a bad message, you just want to express the idea that Black Lives Matter wants to defund the police. So instead of destroying Black Lives Matter, why don't we just add defund the police? Let's just connect Black Lives Matter to defund the police. In fact, when the mayor painted her mural, it said Black Lives Matter and then had a DC flag. DC flag is like two bars with three stars. And so the idea was like, okay, look, what if we just black out the three stars and so the two bars look like an equal sign. So it'll say Black Lives Matter equals, and then we'll just write defund the police. 
then that way we get the message that we want out and then we don't destroy something that we actually support this concept of Black Lives Matter. In a way, I guess that's also one of the largest murals that I've painted, but it was on the street, not on the wall. And then the interesting thing about that is then this organization called Black Lives Matter says Black Lives Matter equals defund the police. So then the mayor might want to black out defund the police, but if she does, then we're on the street and it'll be a flashpoint because if people will defend that, then she's going to have to send her police to fight people that are protecting, you know, then you have the police fighting people that are trying to defend, defund the police sign on the street. And so politically, she realized she's in a tough spot. So instead of trying to delete it, she left it. That's a big win for us, right? So then like for a few months, the street at Black Lives Matter Plaza right in front of the White House said defund the police. Anyways, that's another mural. How has the pandemic kind of impacted your creative process, if it has at all? For a while, people weren't really hitting the streets as often. People were staying home. I wasn't going out and putting up posters because you're just going to get way fewer eyeballs. But people are home. They're on social media a lot more. So definitely people started spending more money on ads, on social media buys, because that's where folks were. I worked with a campaign to reform laws for plant and fungi medicines in D.C. And there's like iboga, cacti, ayahuasca, and fungi. Normally, when we have a ballot initiative like this, you know, this isn't true for every state, but in D.C. and in many U.S. states, you can write up a ballot initiative. And if you get enough signatures, you can put it on the ballot and then people can vote and decide whether to change that law. So we had already legalized cannabis. There was thousands of people getting arrested for marijuana in D.C. And it was a huge racial disparity, like Thousands of Black people were going to jail, and only hundreds of white people were going to jail. The statistics were clear that Black, Latino, white, everyone was using marijuana at the same levels, but it was Black and brown communities that were going to jail that were getting arrested and were getting criminalized for it. Anyways, we had successfully done that. This is like not a lot of people getting arrested for mushrooms or ayahuasca or whatever, but it was a matter of like changing the laws so that doctors and researchers are able to study it because we know that it is helpful for a lot of mental health issues. One of the big things is like end of life care. Some folks know they're about to die soon because of cancer or something. They can't enjoy their last few moments, their last few months because they're just in such anxiety and feeling so much mental anguish about their impending death. And We've learned that fungi medicines can help you sort of feel connected and be able to like just accept it and enjoy your last few months. Anyways, that's why we were doing this. But because of the pandemic, we weren't able to go out and collect signatures. It's just a dangerous thing to do, just sharing pens and talking to people on the street and stuff. So we petitioned the D.C. government to allow us to basically change the law and ask them to let us send D.C. voters by mail the petitions so that they can sign it themselves and mail it back to us. They wouldn't accept it before, but they changed the law to let us mail because of the special circumstances of the virus. And then we did it. We collected enough signatures and plant medicines have been decriminalized in D.C. So, yeah, that's one example of how it was working during a pandemic. Do you have any advice for any artist that's trying to figure out their career path or someone that's trying to become more of a political designer? 
first of all, practice your craft, whatever it is. If you're a singer or if you're a dancer, visual artist, whatever it is, practice your craft. I would say also, like, I don't come up with ideas on the computer. Like, the ideas come when I'm hanging around with friends, when I'm talking to people. And so I keep a journal and I sketch ideas. So one thing for a visual designer, I would say definitely get a journal if you don't already have one and like carry it with you often, take it to places. One technique I also have is, you know, don't start telling yourself that ideas are bad too quickly. If you're willing to have bad ideas, that can oftentimes be helpful. Like good ideas sometimes come from bad ideas. I mean, just like ideas that aren't really going to work out too well, but like a bad idea might come around from you hanging out with your friends, joking around like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if da 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 ha, whatever. It's just a joke. It's silly. But what if we, da, 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 like, it can be a launch pad and don't count on that you're going to remember it. You know, it just have a sketchbook is important. So that's one thing is like coming up with ideas and then developing your technical skills. Again, I'm talking about visual design, but like for visual design, like the fact that I sort of made myself learn Photoshop was super important to my career. And then once I knew Photoshop and I was using it well and successfully, if I had stopped just at that, I never would have gotten to where I am. I couldn't have kept my career going the way I have if I hadn't forced myself to learn Illustrator. Those are both Adobe programs. There's competing software. You don't have to do those two. I'm just saying those are the ones that I had access to when I started. You know, I was using Photoshop for years, but I didn't just stick with that. I like said, man, I know I got to learn Illustrator. I got to force myself to practice. I gave myself a project and I was like, let me just see if I can design this poster. Let me see what I can do. Now it's so much easier with YouTube, you know, you can learn stuff on Instagram, right? So then just like when you get stuck in a technicality, you don't know how to do something, look it up and you keep advancing with your skills like that. So don't stop learning. And then also like now I get paid for almost everything I do. I mean, I still volunteer on occasion, but also I have a family. I'm trying to build up my savings. A lot of the work I do, I get paid for, and that's sort of where I'm at now. But also, early on, I did tons and tons of volunteering. I signed up with lots of organizations, and at first, it was just like, well, what do you need? I'll do whatever you want. Oh, you need me to show up? You need me to knock on doors? Whatever it was, you know, I would try to be helpful. And then as I was doing that, I realized a lot of times what folks need is, well, now it's like social media help, right? Back then, it was like, well, we need a flyer designed. We need a poster. Can anyone make us a banner? Oh, I'll do it. So there's a lot of volunteering. So with the volunteering, you know, I didn't think of it this way at the time, but I was like really building a lot of contacts and I was getting a lot of experience just learning what organizations needed and how to be successful and what works and what doesn't work and how to not make mistakes. You still make mistakes, but I'm just saying how to like make sure you don't spill the paint on the banner or whatever, just like the little things that come with whatever tactic or tool you're using. Yeah, sketch ideas, be open to silly stuff, volunteer, get your skills up. Those are the things I would recommend. Thank you, Cesar, for your interview with Hola Cultura. Join us next month when we speak with Professor of Law, Tanya Cateri Hernandez, whose book, Racial Innocence, Unmasking Latino Anti-Black Bias and a Struggle for Equality, focuses on Afro-Latino voices by sharing their untold stories. For updates on episodes and Latinx events in the D.C. area, follow us on Instagram at DC, And don't forget to rate, review, 
and subscribe to Artistas in the Capital to get involved in Latinx arts, culture, and humanities in D.C. Sign up to join our SVOL program and visit holocultura.com.